Greetings. I'm Matt Matthews, one of the pastors here at First Pres in Champaign, and I'm happy to welcome you to our media ministry. Join us in person. We're located at the intersection of Church and State Streets, adjacent to Westside Park in downtown Champaign. Our traditional worship service is at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, and on most of those Sundays, we offer French translation. Our contemporary services on Sunday begin at 11.15 a.m. When you come to First Pres, what you'll find, what I hope you'll find, is a community of people who support each other and who are passionate about making a difference in our community and beyond. You'll find relevant teaching for children and adults. We have at least a dozen Bible studies in small groups, including pickleball, that's right, pickleball, adult choir, a bell choir for all comers, and other programs and events designed to grow your faith and give you and me opportunities to serve. There's a place for you. I'm glad you tuned in. As I read, listen for the word of God. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. The brothers saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. And the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gil- Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. And when some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting up him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a long passage, but it's, it's useful to hear it. And as somebody reminded me, this is the sanctuary. 
we should hear scripture in the sanctuary. But there's nothing wonderful about sibling rivalry. Anyone who has grown up with brothers and sisters know that there's no possible way for siblings to receive the exact same attention from a parent. Life does not work that way. I like to think that the early chapters of Genesis are a kind of description of what human life is, Jungian archetypes, so to speak. And we see siblings are not treated the same. And we see jealousy rises. It's an emotional growing pain to learn how to share, to learn how to enjoy the apple of our parents' eye some of the time and share that spotlight other times. It's like a muscle that needs exercise to grow. We have to experience jealousy and forgiveness and love to gain wisdom. Unfortunately, sometimes horrible things happen before the wisdom is learned. And that is the beauty of Holy Scripture. We can learn from God's Word and walk down a better path if only we have ears to hear and eyes to see. The funny thing you discover when you read Scripture over and over again is how many opportunities we have been given by God to not give in to these jealousies. Matt preached on this same passage, well, a couple of weeks ago when he paired it with the revelation of John of Patmos. From beginning to end. The Joseph story in Genesis seems to repeat a version of Cain and Abel, or Jacob and Esau, or even the tribal wars that are fought over land again and again. Family patterns seem to be passed down from one generation to another. I imagine if you look at your own family history, you will see a similar thing. Every generation seems to repeat unhealthy patterns, even as there are efforts and moments in which those patterns are broken and salvation emerges. We are part of God's creation, in which jealousy is just a part. Scientists would say it's a survival, coping mechanism. The jealousy or desire causes us to act in such a way that we can save ourselves. Yet, in direct opposition to that primal instinct, God's Ten Commandments demand this of us, thou shall not covet. And in the New Testament, Jesus demands an even harder development to this, love your enemy. What the brothers did to Joseph is played out in our news every week. A woman's father's model airplane with little monetary value is stolen in a burglary for no reason. A woman's brother suspected of killing his sister in an effort to inherit the family farm. Those are some titles. You can fill it in. I haven't read today's paper, but I'm sure there's something in there that has to do with jealousy. Joseph's brothers were tired of watching their father doting on their youngest brother. They were tired of sharing the apple of their father's eye, especially when they felt like they never got any of that eye. When they were younger, Jacob, also called Israel, worked hard to end 
to tend his huge family and his flocks of sheep. A nomad's life is really hard. He probably did not have a lot of time to spend with his sons. But by the the time that Joseph came around, he had his sons working for him. And he could take a little more time watching this amazing blessing from God grow up, sit on his lap, play those little boy games, and hear the fantastic tales that Joseph seemed to tell about his dreams that seemed to be able to predict the future. We know some other jealousies that may have been swirling around in that family. The older sons' mothers may have been jealous of one another, certainly of Joseph's mother, Rachel, who Scripture tells us in the very beginning was the one whom Jacob loved. Children can pick up on petty adult rivalries, hate, anger, jealousy, greed, or powerful emotions that indeed lurk around the corner waiting to pounce. They are so intensely related to our survival instincts that our children can absorb them from the adults in their lives. One can understand how the oldest sons might have carried on the jealousies of their parents. The older boys did an unthinkable thing. They took revenge, talked about killing their brother, then abandoned him in a pit and sold him into slavery. And then they lied about it to their father. Can you imagine? It just feels terrible to think about, probably because it's just all too real. It's hard to see how any good can come out of a horror like that. God is a redeeming God. God is a saving God. The wonderful thing about telling these stories generation after generation is that you see good does come out of these horrible things. You can see that there's a larger narrative at work in these smaller intrigues of the human story. And when one thread seems like it's going to run amok, there are other threads running right alongside of it pulling it back to God's big schema of salvation. Genesis is a family story. The Joseph narrative is one of the more developed stories in Scripture, written in three scenes, just like a play. In fact, if you ever have a chance to see the play um, called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you should see it. The congregation I served in Greenville, McCarter Presbyterian, we all went to see it when it came to the local regional theater. And we had a great time because it helped us to launch the stories of our own jealousies and triumphs. The Joseph narrative weaves itself into the Psalms later on, hundreds of years later, the Psalm that we read this morning for our call to worship goes on to write about God's wonderful works, and this is one of them. When God summoned famine against the land and broke every staff of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord kept testing him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. 
He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to instruct his officials at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Praise the Lord. The psalmist sings about the jealous treachery with thanksgiving. You see, gratitude is the antidote to jealousy. The psalmist, she notes the beauty in it, the wonder of how this horrible treachery became the way the people who did the treachery were saved. God used the brothers' sins, selling Joseph into slavery to save them later. The confessions, our own confessions, say that God is sovereign and that all things are governed by providence. providence. The second Helvetic says, we believe that all things in heaven and on earth and in all creatures are preserved and governed by the providence of this wise, eternal, and almighty God. We don't read that very often, so I thought I'd share that. We can only see this kind of thing in hindsight, though. It takes faith to believe that there is a plan when you're in a pit like Joseph was, or even when you're in the throes of jealousy like his brothers were. When we look back in time, we see God's saving acts that have been at work all along. Despite our efforts to turn them aside, suffering and death never have the last word. That knowledge is a word of hope. When we are at the bottom of the pit, or imprisoned by our emotional and instinctual states, we have hope. God is not causing the pain, but God can use it. God is a saving God, and salvation is the last word. Once a group of colleagues and I went on retreat. The primary part of our retreat was in a pottery hut in Montreat. It was called the Left Bank. Some of you may have been there. If you go to Montreat in the summer, you can go to the pottery barn at the Left Bank anytime to create things. It's just, a whole, it's just a whole hut of creativity. You can enter in to uh, pottery making, too. And we were there to understand our vocation and to explore what God was doing in our lives. It was a retreat about vocation, and we spent the whole day making beautiful bowls, beautiful clay bowls. They were wonderful. One friend had little flowers all over hers. I made geometric designs on mine, and another had a pot that looked like a Charleston basket. It was all woven and braided. We had, let them, we had to let them dry overnight, so we went to sleep, and... You know, we thought about these wonderful bowls that we were going to fire the next day in the kiln. And so then the next day, we arrived back at our pots, and our leader told us that we had to destroy these beautiful pots. Rip them up, break them apart, mash them. It was a devastating experience. It does not feel natural to destroy your creation. And then we were told as a group that we had to take all these broken pieces and make them into a large bowl. They were gorgeous. All these pieces came together into two giant bowls. We stained them. We fired them. 
and we gifted them to the presbytery, the Foothills Presbytery. I don't know if they're still there or not, but at the time we were able to use one of those bowls in a communion service as the baptismal bowl um, there in our service. God is like a potter, and we are like the clay, says Isaiah. God creates wonderful things and sometimes seemingly destroys them in order to make an even better creation. In Jeremiah 18, we read, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. There are times in Scripture, as in Genesis and as in Jeremiah, even at the crucifixion of his own son, when it seems like God has abandoned the pot, broken it apart, destroyed it, sometimes at random, sometimes purposefully in order to recreate. But the overall desire of Yahweh is absolutely for God's people to be saved, for God's people to repent and turn back to the way of the Lord, a way characterized by justice, mercy, and ever-loving kindness. What wonderful works God creates, reminds the psalmist. She sings how the treachery of Joseph's brothers were redeemed so that God's people might be saved. And so it happens again and again. We are wonderful works of God, just like that. Those who have ears to hear and eyes to see receive that. Let us pray. Eternal God, you are present with us through our lives, even when others plot to do us harm. May we learn to live together in unity, that in all we do, we may sing your praises now and forever. Amen. Thank you for joining this podcast of First Presbyterian Church Champaign. Visit us at our campus at the intersection of Church and State Streets in downtown Champaign. And for more information, visit us online at www.firstpres.church. Have a great week.